0: all right let's do this today is thursday october 13th and it's the mediocre foil cast i'm matt joined by i'm nick (laughs) and we're gonna do a fucking interview today and it's gonna be it's me it's nick (laughs) yep i'm gonna try my best to interview nick so we'll see how it goes yeah um According to our notes, I have to give a glowing
1: intro, so... Uh, (laughs) Good luck with that.
0: I'm joined here with Nick. Um, First up, where where are you sitting right now, Nick?
1: I'm sitting in my house on James Island, um, getting ready to get wound up for an inlet session this afternoon. Oh, you're stoked. Right on. I'm sitting in my shop in North
0: Charleston, and I'm probably just going to work today, but that's fine. My cup is full. Um, It's all good. So... <clears throat> Nick's my original Foiling buddy and still my number One Foiling buddy um, But we got a pretty solid crew He was he was my number one Foiling buddy for a long time because he was my only Foiling buddy The only <laughs> And I gotta say he's probably one of the most Stoked guys I've ever met In and out of the water It's pretty hard to, to get Nick down Yeah a couple times I've seen Him kind of get a little bit low I think I would have been a lot lower, so give you credit for that, man.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah, try um,
0: try to stay positive. Yeah, and I think we met about eight years ago, something like that. Met kiting, and the first time I actually really met Nick, he almost killed me with his kite. <laughs> um, do you remember that day?
1: I do. Yeah, I I almost uh, killed you with a kite. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, and I, I feel like I, I apologize. And I tried to buy you some beer, the uh, universal currency of I'm sorry. <laughs> and at that
0: point, I remember I remember you apologizing. I also remember hearing that you were, had gotten into prone foiling. And I had, I had been interested in that point, but I had no idea. And I was like, fuck, this guy? Are you kidding me? But it worked out pretty good. Yeah, nice. I'm glad to hear it. So let's hear more about you. Let's 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 hear you talk about you. Tell us tell us where you live now. So
1: I live on James Island, and it's actually where I've always lived. Um, so I live on James Island um, on, on the Clark Sound, um, kind of an, a quiet little waterway um, on James Island here. I currently live like down the road from my parents, um, the house I grew up in. Um, so keeping it real close to the neighborhood, they live on the water there. So always, always had that real close water access in my life and, um, spend a lot of time with my family and it's pretty great. Um, but, but yeah, always, always grew up on the water here. Um, my dad was real big into fishing. So I did a lot of fishing when I was really younger And then kind of parlayed that love of the water into sailing and sailboat racing for a long time and spent a number of years doing a whole bunch of sailboat racing and coaching sailing and teaching sailing and being really involved with sailing. Um, God, what was it like 12 years ago? I got into kiting um, and kind of like pivoted into that. Um, I previously like dabbled in windsurfing. I wasn't great at it, but like I could, I could water certain jibe and stuff, but I wasn't like doing it on the regular. Um, but kiting was the time when I got into like heavy into ocean sports, heavy into being on the water all the time and kind of being in the waves. And I kind of pivoted like my, my, my kiting skills, like back into surfing, um, and kind of got into surfing again from that.
0: Yeah. So when did you actually start surfing?
1: I mean, I grew up like, like kind of surfing, like playing yeah. on surfboards, like, uh-huh. but like not like, like never being good at it, and never being like, I don't know, a serious surfer in any respect. like the kiting kind of
0: reinvigorated.
1: Yeah, um, kiting and like kiting and wave kiting specifically kind of. Pushed me to get on a shortboard for the first time. i always been like, uh, like a bad longboarder before. <laughs> and, a good one? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, I was I was a terrible longboarder, in fact. But like I pushed me to like get on the shortboard. And um, you know, like, I knew from kiting that I could kind of push through the experience of sucking at something and still have fun. So um yeah i jumped on that surfboard and sucked at that for a long time um i don't know as uh, a yeah learning yeah. to ride a shortboard as an adult is uh i don't know <laughs> it's some form of punishment
0: oh god i feel like surfing is just generally a form of punishment at the time um that was actually one of the things i wanted to mention in my my intros um your ability to be be cool with sucking um you seem to take it in strive. You, you're able to put your ego aside, um, which is hey, really a, lot <laughs> a, lot, a, lot, a lot of practice. A lot of practice. It's hard for me. I hate sucking. Right on. Yeah, that's cool. How um, I can see how kiting can kind of reinvigorate surfing, and I almost see how foiling could do that too. Anyway, tell us about what you do for a living.
1: So I work for a software company, kind of on the admin side. It's a job. It's nice it's not uh i don't know i don't know i don't don't have a ton to say about it but it's it's work how are your
0: parents what do they do um
1: my parents are both doctors so my dad's an ophthalmologist and my mom's an anesthesiologist and my little sister is also an ophthalmologist so uh doctoring runs in the family but thankfully skipped over me so do you Um, consider
0: yourself a black sheep then i mean well
1: no uh well you know 10 years ago i would have said yes but but right now i have you know my daughter is my parents only grandchild and my grandparents only Uh, great-grandchild and that makes me like
0: the chosen one. The chosen yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every,
1: everybody in the family is pretty stoked about having a kid in the family. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm definitely number one now. It's nice. That's
0: awesome. And we should say also that you're married. Happily yes, married. Yes, I
1: am. Yes. Yeah. My, my lovely wife, Sam, and I uh, live in this house on James Island. It's great.
0: And I'm a witness. I've seen her. She exists he's not yeah. making it up she's lovely <laughs> all right so let's talk about foiling um yeah. talk about your very when you first started your very first experiences and why so
1: it was i'd i I'd been, been been kiting a long time and um got into kite foiling by seeing chuck do it um Chuck local folly legend. Yeah. Um, great a eh, homie, um, really was always putting down some really unique style in the kite foiling. Um, you know, less, I don't know, like flat out racing speed and like more like like wave kiting on foil. And nobody else was really doing it. He was building a lot of his own gear and kind of I kind of got into building my own gear from that kind of Chuck helped me get started. And I built a lot of my own kite foils. I built a lot of my own kite foiling gear and um, I kind of got a good understanding of like, like what structurally would fly and what mattered with the foils I was riding and what didn't matter. So like I had a lot of really ugly gear that was, simultaneously really functional and like did what I wanted what I wanted it to do what what I wanted to do was like kind of ride slower and be on a wave so a lot of my gear kind of borrowed from the very early emerging surf foils Um, and at that time we didn't really even really know it was a thing you know I would say that a surf foil big enough for us to really use here was still Two was 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 still at least a year, maybe two years from existing. And at that point, I saw that Kyle video of him like pumping out for like the first double dip, yeah. like wherever that was. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, I I think this could be a thing here, but I don't know. I'm certainly not willing to invest three thousand dollars, a grand for. I mean, I don't know. The boards didn't even really exist at the time. It was like make your own board or nothing. Right. It yeah. was like, so like, am I willing to invest that into this surf foiling thing Buy, buy the go foil and build a board. And the answer at that time was no, because it was still so new and so unknown. Um, this was, I think seven years ago, I want to say. Um, wasn't worth it, but I had a lot of kite foil parts that I kind of knew my way around. I knew my way around them structurally and, I kind of scoured the internet for pictures of like what surf oilers were riding. And I built a couple different setups. Um, I built one like really huge, probably like super low aspect, really thick. Um, It was two inches thick, Um, a two inch thick front wing. And I built it to go on kind of a homemade fuselage and an aluminum mast and I got out and like I got my first, like I got actual waves. I could I could catch a wave and ride it, and I like I think I bolted it onto like an old race board, an old kite race board that I had because I did that too for a hot minute. Um, and I've I've realized then it was doable. I made a second generation that was a wood cord uh with glass over it front wing that in hindsight is very modern i I would say that shape was like way ahead of its time it would be something like the industry would end up with like three or four years later um it was i think 15 centimeter or 15 millimeters thick so really thin um pretty high aspect and it was really fun like i could get up i could ride waves i could do turns I, I wasn't pumping out yet that didn't really exist here at the time but it was fun and like it was a thing and i was doing it and it was more fun than surfing so
0: so, so you saw the video yeah you figured out a way to determine that it's at least possible here yeah but why
1: did you actually want to do it? I mean, it, it seemed like, so uh, I definitely want to do it because like kite foiling is really interesting because it gives you a, like a taste of surf foiling, but it has a really big limitation of what happens when you actually are riding the wave. Like like when you're on the wave going down the line on like a good line, you're usually riding straight to the kite. And with kite foil speeds, the kite starts to fall out of the sky immediately. So, like, it gives you this taste of really fun wave riding, but pulls the rug out from under you at, like, the worst moment. Yeah, copy Um, that. So, like, I kind of wanted that feeling and I knew it was possible. And it's, I don't know, it seemed like a good intersection between that and like, at the time, I was doing a lot of shortboarding. So, like, a way to be doing aggressive, like progressive, like real surfing more. Um so that's really why I wanted to do it. Um
0: right. Because you know,
1: the the opportunity to do that on a shortboard here is pretty few and far between. Exactly. It, yeah. it's really minimal. Um yeah. not a lot of opportunity to write a shortboard like that. Um so yeah I, I built this stuff to kind of figure out that that it was possible. And once I figured out that it was possible, I was kind of ready to make that investment. So I bought that go foil setup. The, the ubiquitous go foil setup that everybody had that you started. Oh, every had it. Mm -hmm. And I wrote that by myself for about a year before you started. Okay. And and you starting is when foiling started for me. Like (laughs) when, when, when it really started because like, Like are you saying I make you complete? I mean, I'm saying that like foiling by yourself sucks, especially like learning and figuring out like is this a thing, does this work, where to go, when to go, what to ride? Like you need help with these things and having like a second data point of being like 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 this thing that I did, does it suck or is it good? Right and like seeing somebody next to you like not like, sucking or like maybe like, you're doing better and just like yeah it like gives you that data point and and yeah just I don't know being in a vacuum sucks right like I don't know like I would say that like for like somebody new starting out if you're at a if you're someplace with no other foilers and like you have a set of gear right and you're thinking about upgrading. Like don't upgrade, buy, buy another person a set of care <laughs> and like yeah, right. th- that that that's the better investment for your riding, right like you're if you're alone, your number one priority should be not being alone anymore because it's 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 hard. It yeah, is- that's how
0: my brother he was in that situation for two whole summers out in Oregon and he just now this last summer got a little bit of a cruise started and it's made a big difference, um, especially out there, it's spooky everywhere. Yeah, um, all right. So what's your what's your favorite version of foiling, surf foiling and why?
1: Oh man, oh god. You, you know, oh god, we got some of it yesterday. It was pretty special. Indeed. Um my my favorite version of surf of surf foiling is the washi inlet. Um, so I don't know. I think we've talked about the inlet of the podcast a lot and the the magic that happens when the the wave and the current are opposed that, you know, swell coming in and the current going out and it produces a lot of interesting effects, but the, the short period like monster chop that happens when you've got like that short period wave, like hitting that current. And like yesterday was a big tide. So the big tide makes a difference. And it's just like a giant washing machine and there's energy everywhere and you're never waiting for anything ever there's always like another peak another piece of energy and the minute you're on a wave and it starts to fade like a new little like pop of energy just down the line like starts dropping out and starts pitching or starts like doing something fun and there's always something to do um yeah it's definitely my favorite i like that yeah. Yeah, like that erratic energy.
0: Well, it's weird because that erratic energy turns into some calmness foiling like those are the days where you'll get a 2 minute ride and never pump once.
1: Yeah. Because absolutely. it's
0: all there to connect, you know. Whereas like on the sparkly lined up pretty days, you end up having to cover some ground to get the next little bit of energy sometimes, you know. So it's yeah. kind of counterintuitive and as a surfer it's just amazing to be out in conditions like that and not think you're about to drown basically i mean yeah. it's quite
1: chaotic it's um yeah it's it the the first couple times out in those conditions it takes like a very some some like deliberate mental control of being like this is fun. These are good conditions. I should not be scared. I shouldn't be be tense. I shouldn't be scared. I shouldn't be tense. Like these, this is fun. And like the minute you let that tenseness enter your body in those conditions, that's when it goes wrong.
0: Yeah. And you also need some, some discipline on conserving your energy, you know, like those waves, some of them look like they're going to break really hard. you might pass on them and then a wave that looks like it might be a good one to catch is impossible to catch you know so you really got to get an eye for which ones are actually catchable which might be the ones that look like they're gonna explode on you and save your energy otherwise you paddle for a wave every four seconds you're
1: gonna be wore out it's it i don't know it's, it's it's really for, for me, it's a good exercise in not working. Like, like don't paddle. like don't I, paddle. I mostly, yeah. ju- mostly just like quirk into them. like I, I pop the board down like r- like at, th- at that right moment and I'm in the wave nice. and I'm not really ever digging really hard. And, and when things go wrong, it's because like your your attitude's wrong. like if you start if you start to feel yourself getting flushed and let yourself panic, um, you know, like you get this weird attitude and it impedes your ability to catch a wave because, you know, like, you're not like, you're, you're more focused on working than you are on catching because like, you like your brain thinks that more work will get you into the wave. Yeah. So you, you, you end up working too hard, kind of doing the wrong thing. And then when you do catch it, you're so focused on like covering that ground and getting back in like you end up being like i don't know it, it, at least i feel like i end up being like m- more tense and more likely to fall than if i'm like like relaxed and whatever and like loose again you know I'm like in like i don't know m- more focused on throwing turns than surviving makes me yeah. more likely to survive
0: and i feel like the closer you get to that last bar um the the more you have to fight to keep that tense tenseness away because the the consequences of a pretty long paddle back to the beach if you don't catch a wave. Eventually, that tide will take you out. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know. I generally find it is a lot more fun to be like I don't know, like grazing on the inside bars than hunting for a big meal on the outside. Yeah, um, it's just like I don't know. It puts it keeps you in a better state of mind. You get like more turns. There and there's more current in the inside, so your wave to weight ratio is higher.
0: Yeah, copy that. All right, so just talking about foiling in general, what's your favorite thing about it?
1: God, what's my favorite thing about foiling?
0: Is it watching me?
1: No, maybe it depends how bad of a day I'm having um hi i feel like my favorite thing about foiling is progression I, I just i just like i like doing something new i like that like feeling of getting better all the time um and a lot of times it's it's a two step forward one one step back experience or even like like i don't know backwards like two steps back one step forward. Um, but I don't know. I'm always switching gear. I'm always trying something new.
0: Yeah, it's um, rare to see you ride the same rig for very long. It's always something different.
1: Yeah. Um. So yeah, progressions definitely it for me. And you know, and a, a unique thing that I like that a lot of people don't is the physicality. I don't really like an easy foil. Like I, I don't want to glide effortlessly like i like working i like the physicality of it i like you know getting my heart rate up pumping on the back i like being on a foil that's work um i'm not necessarily looking for the easiest ride these days
0: copy that and how do you think it's um changed your overall relationship with other water sports
1: it's i don't really kite anymore you know, I don't kite. I don't. I don't even own a kite anymore. Yeah. I don't own any kite gear anymore. I kind of got out of kiting. Um, what about surfing. I don't really surf anymore. Um, ever. Kiting was a deliberate step back for me because I was spending so much time foiling. I was getting into forms of foiling on windy days. So like, I was getting into downwinding. So like, I wanted to um do like short runners and stuff like that on windy days and i was getting to the point where like wind was no longer a cutoff. like even on days where when I, when I wasn't downwind, i could like i could pump into the wind i could like i could manage it to, to a higher and higher level so it, it it decreased the number of good kiting days that i was getting to like only going out on the, on the windiest like 25 plus days and I made the decision that if I was only kiting on those days, I wasn't maintaining a skill level necessary to kite on those days. And if I continued to do it, I was going to suffer a gear failure that would put me in a dangerous situation or I would, I would make bad choices and yeah. kind of like not have the skill for those really gnarly days that are, the most powerful most dangerous
0: yeah i feel like the the gear situations the, the the real danger there if you're only kiting once a month on big wind days there's there's just no way you're you're tuned in with your the state of repair of your gear yeah
1: well and i don't know i was always kiting on like the sketchiest gear I yeah. like, I have like the sketch, like I always, I, like, I, I don't know. I've been kiting a suicide rig with no safety for like eight years, a long time. I hadn't, I hadn't had a safety in eight years. And, like, I was kiting like old garbage bar and line sets, no depower, no safety, like nothing. And just like, and I don't know, and your only kites the eight meter. So like it's like worn out and not a happy kite and um yeah so i made the decision to step back there recently got into winging and it's been good for winging just just the, the the realization with foiling that speed and and physicality and effort are kind of inversely related um, so before foiling and sailing and windsurfing and kiting, like you, like you have this thing where like the faster you're setting up for, like, if like, like you're setting up for more power and you're setting up to be powered up. And the only way to go faster is more power. So faster must be harder on your body and faster must be more difficult with the foil. It made me realize it's really the opposite. Um, because if you're set up to go faster it like it decreases the loads because your apparent wind's higher um like i don't know like a great example like that i learned sailing um you know I, i raced this boat that was designed to be slower downwind to be easier to sail and it was much harder to sail because it was slower the loads on all the lines were heavier um it was a like bigger, more like aggressive um, like load on everything. It was just more work to go slower. With foiling, it really made me realize that the faster you're going, the less load there is, the 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 less loaded up you are as the essential part connecting the sail to the watercraft. So you know, it's been a big realization. I've kind of carried that into winging. Um, you know, and really finding like a happy medium of like what speed foil I want because I, I generally want a little bit slower foil. I don't love having the most slippery foil, I'm realizing. You know, kind of settling on something middle aspect is kind of my preference, even though I'm on the uh, uh, Lift 120 right now. <laughs> the the most slippery foil in the world. Um it's um I would say it's my preference right now. It's it's kind of a holding pattern for me right now. And I'm I'm kind of looking for something more in that middle speed realm. So yeah, I don't know. Fo- foiling's, it's, it's definitely changed my relationship with the ocean because I'm in it more, I have more solitude in the ocean. Um and I don't know. You talk about this a lot, but it's really hit home for me too. The the your cha- your change relationship with scarcity. Like, I don't really want to be involved in a scarcity based relationship with the ocean anymore. Like, mm-hmm. um, like I have I have trouble fishing these days because um, a lot of the fishing that I end up doing is in places where like the fish are a scarce resource and you're like competing with other people fishing for those fish and like and the net result is like you making the like everybody making the ecosystem like fighting and making the ecosystem worse yeah, yeah. i just yeah. it's like not a pleasant thing to be involved No, yeah.
0: it's like yeah don't just don't be a part of it you know
1: yeah exactly Let's,
0: tell us a little bit about our crew who who we ride with here and where you see it going and
1: Hi, I I love our crew. I think we have the best crew in the whole world. It's it's, it's pretty amazing. I don't know, having started by myself and seeing the impact of other people on my riding, I'm I'm so excited to have the crew that we do. I'm so excited to have people to ride with all the time, people to push me to do and try different things, and you know everybody raises my level of game even even if it's just because like i'm thinking about their foiling and trying to help them and that makes me realize things about my own foiling um so you know chris adam i mean i don't know everyone is an important member of the crew um you know you matt um everyone it's a good crew yeah, it's
0: even the guys here, yeah, we
1: don't get to see that often. Um yeah. I you know, I, I really I really wish we'd see Christian more. He's he's a an essential element of the crew. Um really looking forward to having him back down for the winter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it, I don't know. It's a great crew. It's good people. Everybody's always pushing me. I'm always excited about seeing more faces out there. I'm I've never I've never felt like it's been um like crowded i've never felt any negative energy with our foil crew it's it's just it's a good crew it's good people and everybody's interested in keeping it safe for each other and helping each other i think i i think that like like that's a big thing with our our crew really evolved from a kite crew um you know almost all of us were kiting that spot before we were foiling that spot and with with a kite, that culture is like very much about safety and keeping each other safe and having each other's back, and you know, like the kite crew was my crew and continues to be my crew. Even though I don't kite, like even though I don't I don't kite, like I like being out there on a nuking day and like going and seeing the crew and like throwing some kites in the air and like chatting with my my buddies because those are the people who kept me safe. Like I knew that if something happened to my gear. And I went down someplace bad and something bad happened. Like you and everybody else in the kite crew, like somebody would have my back. And those relationships like really like got transferred to the the foil crew. Um, so I don't know. I feel like everybody's got everybody's back. Everybody's helping each other out. It's a, it's a team sport.
0: That's a really good segue to talk about some gear. Um Yeah all right man yeah let's talk about gear tell us yeah let's do it you already talked a little about your very very beginning of your history but give us a run through of what gear you've been on and and what you're on now
1: okay so um you know obviously started out on all that homemade stuff um and kind of moved from that to the go foil started with the Maliko, and I, i was i was you know, it, it was an interesting change. Um, I w- it wasn't actually, I don't know. Uh, it, it wasn't a lot better than my homemade gear that I was riding. It was definitely more reliable, um, but just like the like like the mental aspect of like knowing that it was like a known quantity and this is a thing, and this is what's on this is the best thing on the market and I'm gonna ride it. Like, it, it gave me a lot of confidence. It really helped my riding it was definitely the right foil at the right time. Um, easy, forgiving, great place to start still. So from, from, from the go foil, I ended up kind of going back to a, you know, a couple different homemade versions at that time, you know, high aspect hadn't really been figured out. So I ended up playing with some like gong front wings, um, which were even, like, more low aspect than the Maliko somehow. (laughs) Um, So that was an interesting direction to take. And I remember right at the beginning of the pandemic... Well, you were...
0: Hold on. At that point, you were just buying front wings, right? Yeah. You were making
1: your own fuse.
0: You were reusing kite masts. Yeah. And making your own stabs, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was, actually. So I never... I never, yeah, so from there I went to the Nash, but I never actually wrote a complete Nash setup. No, you are <laughs> machining, machining masts on your mill. Yeah, that's right. So I was, um, so I, was, I think I was writing mostly like slingshot masts and I had the old liquid force mast which, I don't know, super interesting. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So yeah, I was mostly riding that old liquid force mast and it was like the lightest weight, but stiffest mast extrusion out there. Uh, what, What made it unique was it was 19 millimeters wide and a thin walled extrusion. So it was stiff and it was light and it was good. And I was making all kinds of stuff for it, mostly riding, with that Nash high aspect 1400, and that was kind of our crew's introduction to high aspect, and it it took it took a couple of sessions, but like a couple of sessions in, like I I kind of realized it was a thing, and it was like letting me like do that new pumping thing that everybody was talking about, <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, and ended up pumping around on that, and and, and kind of learning to pump on that, I think. I think that 1400 high aspect was the most important wing in my progression because it it increased wave time for me dramatically so I was getting way more time on wave way more experience um just like more time on my feet you know I was getting the hours to progress whereas with with the low aspect stuff I mean I was, I was catching I was catching waves as well but just like not as much time on my feet because I wasn't doubling tripling quadruple dipping and you're not getting enough wave time so i you know i really think that like that big high aspect like good pumper quadruple dipping is an essential part of progression agreed um, and, it
0: charges your progression
1: yeah um you know it was really it was really interesting at the time um the whole industry was kind of going away from that that thicker mass like everybody was like doing a thin mast because it was kind of um, evolving, like like kite foiling was bigger than surf foiling, um, and kite foiling was more about speed. So like everything was going for a thinner mast. And it's really interesting now. We have the new Sadrus aluminum mast came out recently, and it's like it's it's almost identical to that old Liquid Force mast. It's nineteen it's nineteen millimeters wide and a thin wall extrusion. And I don't know, everything's kind of come back to center for me. Hmm. Um, in, ter- in terms of the mass design, like everything's about stiffness. I- I'm a big guy, I weigh 220. Um, and I've always found stiffness to be like the most important thing in my riding, having, uh, having a stiff setup. And I'm really excited that the industry is-, is finally like, I don't know, taking that aspect of construction seriously and offering me like foils that are stiff enough for what I want to do. I don't know. I really like stiff setups. Um, it really spoiled me having that old Liquid Force smash because it like it got me focused on stiffness. And after that, I only wanted to ride something stiff. I'd like get on something like noodly, and not like it, and just be like, nope, can't ride it. Like I, I, like in that time, I tried the um, Armstrong setup, that 925. I bought it. I rode it for like four sessions. And sent it back, just because it was the whole thing was kind of noodly and loose, and it just it just didn't work for me. But but in terms of like my progression movement from the Nash, I ended up doing the um, Nash twelve forty high aspect, which was like a little step up, something smaller. Um, I was on that for a while, um, and then I got on the best foil I've ever ridden. The Takuma 110, or, or a 1210. Uh, real, real, Really amazing foil. is is really special. It was great. But I, I couldn't keep it in one piece. I, I bent a fuselage. I had a custom mask set up for it. So I was riding it with an axis mask for the stiffness that I wanted. But just I found the rest of the setup wasn't really up to what I wanted to do. So I ended up getting rid of that. I tried that Armstrong setup. Didn't like that. And based on that experience with that kind of flexy Armstrong setup, I decided to go back to GoFoil and I ended up riding the RS-1000 for about a year. It definitely didn't, for me, have the magic of that Kajira. The the Kajira 1210 was really like the easy button. Like everything was easy. Like pumping was easy. Turning was easy. It wasn't like the snappiest turn, but it was serviceable. And It was really easy to pump. Had really low stall speed, so like I was never like dropping out ever. It was just really versatile, really forgiving. And the Gofoil RS One Thousand was not that. It was difficult. It was hard. It was work. Um, you know, like the 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 Kajira Twelve Ten is like really like in that sweet spot span wise with all the other foils that like pump really well. Like it's like a 37 inch ish span. So like it matches the lift high aspect series really well in terms of span. but It's like that, like pumping surf foil that everybody makes. um, and, and the go foil was not that it was really short span, not high aspect. It's a mid aspect shape and it was a ripper and it was a mountain of work pumping was hard it didn't want to pump it didn't want to go fast um it didn't want to go fast enough to keep me on foil it was always a work but in the pocket like doing like aggressive turns hitting white water and stuff like that there's nothing better than that short span like real wave riding wing and it was amazing it was great i recently uh hit a rock with it at speed (laughs) Um,
0: hit a fucking jetty. Oh yeah. God. And say a rock.
1: <laughs> yeah. Jesus. But and I imploded it and kind of repaired it and wrote it for a little bit. But, you know, I, I kind of took that as a sign from powers above that it was time to change and do something different. And at least for the sake of, of my lungs and my cardio, I should try at least, at least try to see if I can tolerate something easier. So, since then, I've, I've played around with a couple of different things, but I've, I've kind of landed on the Lift 120 with a kind of custom mast setup. It's, it's, it's got a uh, no, uh, uh, it kind of has a no limits mast on it. And um, I don't know, I'd really like to thank my homies for hooking it up on my current setup.
0: Yeah, so Chris broke a couple no-limits masts, and then I had a warranty replacement on a Lift 120, so Nick did the repairs and um, hobbled together a pretty sweet rig out of it, actually.
1: It's a pretty sweet rig. I'm, I think, I'm pretty yeah, happy with it. I
0: think it'll be, once you decide what you're going to be on next, it'll be a great backup for anyone or yeah. a tr- uh, demo, because everyone should try that 120, at yes, once, at least once in life.
1: Every everybody, really, truly. Um, you know, I don't know. And, and I'm proud. We're like the only crew in the whole world that has a community lift 120 that they're passing around. <laughs> what could yeah. be better? Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, and, and I don't know. And that no limits mast, the way I have it potted in there, is really stiff. It's it's about the right length that I like. I like a shorter mast, and it's it's great. In conditions like the inlet, where I don't pump, but it will not let me pump at my weight on that 120. It won't let me pump enough to like keep it at speed. I don't have a cruise. I can't cruise on it. Like I've kind of like got to know where I'm going and like get there quick and make my turn and get back to power because I can't like I can't I can't increase my speed and maintaining is hard. I'm kind of like always falling. Yeah. I know that feeling. Um, but, but yeah, it's it's it's, it's fun. Um, I definitely think that, like, that thin front wing, I kind of suffer a little bit in, like, white water um, with that flex. I can feel the flex in the wing. So, but yeah, it's fun. It's good. Uh, I'm looking forward to my next setup, though. Uh, I'm still not so, still not 100% sure what, what it's going to be. I've ordered a Project Citrus Mast just because I want to I feel it. I want to, like, ride it and, like, get some experience there. And I want to see at what point that the extra drag of that 19 millimeter wide mast like starts making a difference because I know I like those like 1,000 centimeter ish wings with, like like the Gofoil RS 1,000. Uh-huh. So I'm gonna, I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be playing around in that space that that size range 1,000 to 1,100. I'm gonna try a couple of different things and I think that Cedrus is gonna let me um try stuff and play around and try more setups so i'm excited about it that's awesome yeah man um so
0: like looking back what advice would you give like you what advice did you wish you got you know as we were starting
1: community people you know like get a buddy early get somebody who's on your level who you can progress with you know like if you're just starting out and you're you know like riding by yourself a lot because like the whole rest of the crew where you live is like super high level like get somebody at at your level in your space that that you can like really move with um because it, it sucks being by yourself and it sucks like being in the water while like a whole bunch of people are like pumping loops around you that sucks um <laughs> this is not fun um and, like, I, I can see it being re- re- really frustrating. Um, that's the most important piece of advice. The number two piece of advice is, is is getting that, like, good pumping, like, surf wing setup, like, something around 37 inches in span. And get that and ride the piss out of it until you can pump for, like, quads. Until you can, like, pump easy. Until you Mm -hmm. can go out there and pump circles on the outside while you wait for a set. So, yeah, let's
0: do a really quick thing on, like, what's your opinion on the gear progression for someone?
1: Um, Big low aspect to start with until you can shoulder hop with it. Right at At the point where you can shoulder hop and turn into the next wave that probably means that you're ready to start doing some more aggressive pumping. Um, and at that point you move to the 37 inch wide span surf wing that can pump, that, that is the capability to pump for days. So you're and, talking about a high aspect wing. I mean, I don't know, Armstrong wouldn't call it a high aspect. So I don't know. I, th- I think these days it might be a medium aspect surf wing. But I think I think the span is the most important part um, that 37 inch wide span is is critical because, you know, like you can you can really play with area a lot and keep that span the same and things kind of behave about the same. Right. You know, like I, I think I think what lifts done with their lineup is a great example, like all those H.A. wings at 37 inches wide, they behave more alike than like similarly like they behave more alike than wings of similar area with different spans right so like like the lift 200 lift 170 and lift 120 right like all the same span and i think they behave more similarly than like the lift 150 surf and the lift 170 do even though those wings are like very close in area, like they're I don't know, spans the critical thing because as you mess with area, you're just like trading speed, which gives you power. Like more speed gives you more lift. So, right. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think that's like the critical thing. I obviously wouldn't suggest somebody start with a lift one twenty 20 as they're, as they're like transitional pumper. Um, so like, I don't know be reasonable, but like anything in that span between like, I don't know, 1100 and 14 or 1500 is going to be about the same thing. Um, it's going to give you about the same experience. So that's what I'd recommend and ride that for, for, for a while until you get as good as you're going to get on that. Um, which means, you know, like, I don't know, the, those like tight loops on the top, like like the loop back on your pump backs, so like you pump back instead of just doing like a regular turn on the wave, like do the loop. You should be able to like throw those really easily and you should just be logging like a ton of wave time, like a mountain of wave time because whatever you switch to after that, you're going to get less wave time, right? Like like you're going to be making a trade of like better like better wave riding or more speed for less wave time. Yep. So, like maximize the value of your progression on that wave time. Because are, be, be I don't know. I'm not gonna say you're never going to get it again, but like might never get it again. Like I'm getting less wave time now than I was like 2 years ago for sure. Um yeah. I mean it's it a fair trade, you know, like you know it's, it's like I don't know. Riding a short board instead of a long board, you're gonna get less wave time, mm-hmm. but it's, it's worth it because it's more fun. But yeah, so so maximize that, and then I, th- I think from that wing, like what do you do next? Like that's where you start making decisions. Like every decision leading up to this is like I don't know, it's not a decision. It's like training. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is where you make a decision. Um, and this is where like you and I split in our gear because we were riding very similar equipment. You know, we're both riding that NAS that nash ha 1400 and the the 1240 like together for a long time and you know and then we like made that split and like you've gone towards you know more carving focus and speed focus setup with those small lift ha's that lift 120 um and i've been like more focused on kind of like a, a i don't know i i I don't know how to describe it. I like, like a, I like a pivot. I like a snappy like wave setup. So I've really been more focused on that. And I I think that's the decision to make is like, you know, like do you go for a small mid aspect or a really small high aspect?
0: Yeah. But first you kind of got to get your fundamentals down really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So Kind of wrapping up. What do you what? Where do you see your progression going? Like, what's your goals? What are you trying to work towards? I mean,
1: I, I don't I don't really know right now. um You know, like maybe straps. You know, like maybe. Oh wow! Riding. Really? Yeah, maybe. um You know, like, like I, I feel like the the way into strep prone riding is winging. So uh, like throwing straps on your wing board and like getting used to that strapped experience there and then translating that to prone i think that might be it um but like even that i i kind of lean on my experience with people in the crew and how other people have influenced my writing and like i don't know what's next because like i think we still need to add that person in the crew who's gonna push me to like do something new yeah. and and like and like really like show me what's possible on the regular so i don't know like i i do, i'm super stoked for every new rider in our crew because like everybody kind of like pushes everybody else up and like raise the game um but like i i'm super stoked to like get like like a grade a like 18 year old ripper who's like a ripping surfer so like get into foiling and like show us what like an 18 year old ripper can do and like have that push my game in a different direction. But yeah. I don't know. For, for me, it's all about community people. We've, we, we, we've got a good crew. I want to do everything I can to support the people in my crew. And I'm going to trust that if I do that, I don't know, I'm going to get better.
0: Yeah, man. Word. Well, theoretically, this podcast putting some effort
1: towards that i mean dude that 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 that's why i'm stoked about it i really hope that like i don't know i hope that somebody like listens to the podcast and comes right at this yeah um anybody from out of town listening i don't know like like come come, like grab a session i'm stoked uh hit me up love love my crew love my podcast i don't know we're we're the best crew in the world i want everybody to know it nice well sweet man thanks for sharing
0: nick yeah, totally, man. And uh, go go get out there. I know you're you're I, popping for a session. You're I'm leaving, leaving right now. Okay. Oh, good luck. Oh, there go. All right. I'm going back to work. Later. Go back to work. Good luck, man. Fuck yourself. Bye. <laughs>